this is episode 20. So we've set, hit our, uh, I don't know, it's kind of a milestone. Just wanted to point that out. This is season two. Yeah. Well, the end of season two. Or, yeah, oh. Okay, yeah, so let's talk about the MacBook Air. I'm very confused by this MacBook Air and why it's not just a MacBook with an extra port. So right out of the gate, let's let's define... So in 2015, I know this because I bought this... Um, or yeah, because you have the same computer, right? Yeah. Uh, I think it came out in 2015. I jumped right on it, and I said, all right, we're going to do the MacBook because this was before MacBook Pros were, th- um, you know, like thinner like they are now you know how they like lost some weight in there there was a gap well regular just macbook which was like the one thousand two hundred dollar one which is like supposedly like their entry model type computer or whatever Mm -hmm. um that was like a lot thinner than the pro versions and that was a tough call for me because you know the pro is very appealing sounding uh and we talked about it before and i've been very very happy with this computer uh but anyway 2015 it was just called macbook and at the same time and i think i don't know the date exactly but you know do you remember the commercials like i'm a new soul and the macbook comes out of the envelope the macbook air yeah am i correct in saying that the physical design of that computer until a few days ago was like still in apple's lineup yes it was exactly the same it had the old like it didn't have a retina display or anything but the new body is exactly like the MacBook. That's why I'm so confused on why, like, how does this fit in? It's the same price. It's the same. It's it's exactly the same, just with a fingerprint reader and an extra port and 13 inches. But does, is that a whole, is that valid? Is that like a whole new lineup? And that, or do they have no MacBook now? Or they will they still be updating the 12 inch? And somehow that's eat smaller but that's not the air i just don't understand i think so this is what i feel like it should have been all along because when you know when this came out macbook just macbook in 2015 i think i want to say every dimension was smaller than macbook air if not um was was it everyone or there might have been one thing that macbook air had on it it was thinner every like at its thinnest point it was thinner at its fattest point it was thinner and then (laughs) it takes up a smaller footprint because it's 12 inches versus 13. Yeah. And then this is where they introduced the terraced battery so that it's like an odd shaped battery in there. So you get a lot more battery out of it. And I have noticed that and the, um, whatever they want to call this trackpad, which love it or hate it. I think we've talked about this on this podcast before too, but the tactile like feedback or haptic feedback, um, like iPhone button, you can tell it's not a button. This trackpad, it is, a bizarre experience when the MacBook is out of battery. Like I couldn't tell you it's not truly mechanical. And when the MacBook is dead, just, you know, it can't power that little vibration motor. It's freaky to press down on it because it is just like basically a piece of um, like plastic or metal or whatever that bends and there's no click mechanism at all. Yeah. It's like almost unbelievable. You have to like, I, when I first got it, like I had to turn my laptop off just like make sure that it wasn't actually clicking. And you're right, it feels, you're just like pressing on, like, you might as well just be pressing on the aluminum. Yeah, and the cool thing is, then in settings, uh, not many people probably do this or know about it, but there's a little checkbox, like, make the click louder. And uh, you can have more, like, of a a tactileness to it, which is interesting. 
Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so this, what has happened here is I think all along Apple wanted to call, um, you know, MacBook that they launched in 2015. I think they wanted to be MacBook Air. And for whatever reason, they were testing out this format and then they wanted the Air to exist as a cheaper model or whatever. I think they just kept the name scheme weird for a while, but this is like the corrective move. That's my theory going right now anyway, because yeah, this is, I think, exactly the same physical design, except they've added the fingerprint scanner and uh, like a second port in there and and maybe a few other changes, but... So, hmm. well, the way I view the lineup is... MacBook is like the everyday computer for people that just need like a browser and a word or uh, and like uh, like documents uh, in Excel and stuff like very light users. And then the pro is for you need any sort of process intensive um, programs, video editing or, or, or whatever. And then the MacBook Air was released as like it was not quite as it wasn't as pow- powerful as like the entry level that they wanted to have. Um, but they wanted to make something super thin. So in, in my mind, the MacBook Air was kind of the uh, like one-off, and then going to MacBook should have been the correction. It's like we've got two tiers. We've got the Pro, and we've got the regular line. But now they've added the MacBook Air back in, and it's, I don't know if it's like the, just as powerful, or I think it might have the new Intel chip, so maybe slightly faster. So now like the what I would consider the budget is now just as expensive as the MacBook, one inch bigger and an extra port. And then you have the MacBook, uh, which is like not as good as the Air now. And then you've got the MacBook Pro. So everything's like flipped around now. <laughs> well, yeah, I wonder if they'll just keep MacBook around as their like more like cheaper option. Is that what they're doing? Are they doing that already? Uh, it's still on the website. It hasn't been, but it was updated somewhat recently, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they'll do there. And I hear what you're saying with all that. Um, to me, though, I guess so the analogy with iPhone is like there hasn't been just iPhone in a little while. And uh, I mean, probably since the first one, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to say like MacBook is now like, oh, which MacBook? And believe me, like I have I have not enjoyed trying to describe to people which thing that I have, even like the Apple store. I feel like I have to be like, uh. I have MacBook that came out in 2015 because that's all I can call it. <laughs> mm, that's an interesting point because in my mind, it, there, it's a very clear lineup, MacBook Air, MacBook, and MacBook Pro. Like it all makes perfect sense. But I guess like to the normal person, MacBook is just any Apple laptop. And then MacBook Air and MacBook Pro have very specific meanings. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what they're trying to do is just like for the people that aren't like super nerds on the Apple lineup, uh, so that they understand what people are talking about. I guess that's that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, getting past the, the like <laughs> semantics of this, <laughs> like how it fits into the lineup. You could do a whole uh, podcast about the names. <laughs> yeah, not having like really looked at reviews or anything yet, uh, I'm generally pretty happy. This thing seems to have... So what? It's got an actual not mobile processor in it, right? I'm looking at Hold the on. page right now. So are you saying, oh, okay. I thought you were saying that you have the Air. Oh, no. No, I don't. I'm just saying okay. I'm looking at the pictures here. Uh, you know, we've got an improved keyboard, which is a, lot, a complaint of a lot of people. And I haven't really cared much about the keyboard, but I guess some people do. And that's great that they made it better. Yeah. I have the original one and I do 
miss like uh sometimes it just doesn't like register a click um but that might just be me yeah i think i'm mostly comparing it to like if you were to type on an ipad or something and it's 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 definitely not on the level of other macs like mine that i have the 2015 one um but you know it's it's a lot better than any kind of tablety thing and i think this is trying to be like oh hey you wanted a tablet well this is crazy portable and you know a fully functional computer with a full os and keyboard and all that good stuff yeah i'm looking at the site now and they don't even have the new chip it's the um i i'm pretty sure the original um macbook is the i5 too um well, so the one I have, doesn't it have a mobile processor of some kind? I thought it had like a weird mobile thing in it. Oh, really? Oh, okay. If I'm that's sure. the case, and then that's, I mean, kind of more confusing, but um, that's a pretty big differentiator. This is, is not a mobile processor in the air. Yeah, This. so what I have right now is 1.1 gigahertz Intel Core M. And that's how they, that's the way that they got away with not having a fan in here, though, which uh. I also really love. And since it's the exact same physical design, I assume this one doesn't have a fan either, and they just figured out a way to make it work. Yeah, you're right. I have the same one, 1.1 Intel Core M. Hmm. Yeah. So the MacBook is weaker than the MacBook Air. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a, an improvement in every way. They took care of the keyboard. There was con- criticism on like the mobile processor, even though this has worked fine, even for like pretty intense stuff. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, my big, my only complaint here right off the bat is that they missed a glorious opportunity to put one of these USB-C ports on the other side of the machine. Yeah. Because then, uh, I think as we talked about somewhere with the MacBook Pros right now, you can charge on both sides. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but especially when you've got one of these adapters that we're both using plugged in. Yeah man like not having to wrap the cord around and also it's like you know the adapter sticks out a lot so it's really a big wrap around if you need to use a port on the other side of the computer yeah especially like i don't know you're in a coffee shop and plugs are sparse and you just find one close enough that can't quite wrap around like i run into that all the time somehow to where like oh if it were just on this side i'd be able to charge right now but i can't Mm -hmm. but otherwise very happy and uh yeah i mean i I don't know if i like want to pay for a new computer but like i would love this one because it is effectively the same thing but better in every way yeah well not to jump away from the macbook air too quickly but can i tell you or maybe can you guess what uh computer i am excited about i think maybe (laughs) is it the mac mini which confuses me (laughs) yes so this new Mac mini is a six core. I think there's an i seven model and like, it's, I would, I think that it's like more powerful than the entry level iMac. So hmm. I am very interested in this Mac mini. So for me, basically all I took away from this was that pretty much Apple said, Hey, we haven't completely abandoned the Mac mini. <laughs> but it's a pretty substantial upgrade from what they were selling before. Yeah. Um, like this is an actual computer that you could like you could get things done with. Mm-hmm. And um, it also works with the, um, uh, what is it called? 
the, the like external GPU. So you could, you could attach something like that if you needed to. Oh, so like, so if I'm like, going to be like a, like a Mac gamer, hmm. this would be good enough for like the sorts of just like casual stuff that I would be doing it, as well as like, it'd be great for editing, um, podcasts, um, you know, compiling Xcode, some light, mm. like video editing stuff. Like, I think that this is like before I was considering the iMac for those reasons. Um, but I'm like pretty, I'm, I'm pretty heavily considering this, um, Mac mini. Yeah. I was trying to figure out, I mean, they've been around forever, so I don't know. Is this meant for people that want Mac OS and they just need the minimum thing that can run that? Or is this it like used a to corporate be. solution? I think both. So you could you could set them up in, a, in an array to like be a server, um, or you could use it as like I've already got a monitor and I've already got a setup. Like I've got a pretty nice like large 4K monitor. So, I mean, I guess an iMac would be great to just like replace that whole system, but um, I don't really want to do that. And I don't know. This is just like really small and I just, I don't know. I just like this a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a thousand dollars for the, like the upgraded version. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's solid. I just, basically it says they're still going to do it. And I think there might've been some question, right. At some point as to whether this was even going to continue to exist. So happy to see it. Hope you get one deal. Yeah. Me too. We'll see. Um, but you were mentioning the, uh, you know, the iPhone hasn't gotten rid of the numbers yet. The iPad has gotten rid of the numbers. That's yeah. segue. It's, and it's not a perfect analogy, I guess. But The new iPad looks... Like, I have no need for an iPad at all. But I want <laughs> this new iPad really bad. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I, won't, I won't get it, but um, it looks really cool. Even though I would be far more cons- likely to get the MacBook Air because it would just be an improvement yeah. on what I have, I am so much more excited about this Mac or um this ipad pro yeah USB-C ipad pro yeah and it just oh, little features the the charging down to other electronics type thing and the yeah. redesign of the pencil and you know we've got face id in here we've got thinner bezel we've got magnetically attached pencil it charges by that now instead of that weird like situation they had going on before where you had to like plug in the lightning into the bottom of the iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't maybe I don't I don't know if I realized that. But actually, so this is how um I had just the first surface book and I think all of them have done that and uh th- like that was what they did. Pretty much the button on the pen was also an attachment point. Um Oh no, now that I say that out loud, it didn't actually have a battery at all, so it didn't need to charge, but it did attach by like the side. Yeah, I don't know that I have anything too much to say except that like uh, this pencil is not going to roll. It's not completely circular or a, a complete cylinder. It attaches like people have wanted. Well, the other one, the the other one was interesting because um, it was circular, but it was like weighted so that it wouldn't roll still, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. Well, it'll roll a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I, this one just feels like maybe what they had in mind and wanted the iPad to be ultimately all along. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. I don't know that I have a whole lot more to add other than that. Yeah. The rounded corners on the screen just make it look more complete. 
some, that's like surprisingly like just makes it look much better than like the hard corners like on the screen but the rounded corners on the frame mm-hmm. um it just i don't know it just looks a lot better in every way i just sent you a picture of how it used to charge yeah like you have stuff plug it in like that <laughs> yeah it certainly looks like the future and uh uh yeah just just a beautiful thing the one okay here's my here's my pre having even seen one or touched one or looked at any reviews criticism and that is as with all apple things these days the camera bump which is like it feels like they've just embraced it now like here i'll send you this picture i'm looking at one where they like are intentionally uh obscuring it pretty much for their like side comparison from the website so that you should have that now like, take a look at that. It's like, look how thin it is. Uh, we've conveniently covered the camera with the hand. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, especially confusing because like the camera is really only like on the iPad it is unless you're like a psycho is only for scanning documents. It's like, you don't need a nice camera. They could have put a worse camera in there and not put the bump. Um, especially with the iPad with it being so large, I feel like it'll be more obvious when you're trying to have it on a table and you're like typing on this large iPad with like a top left corner. Yeah. Like all weird. And it seems like a weird decision. I deeply, I wonder, I wonder if you could like aftermarket, I guess you could just completely sacrifice the camera and make it smooth back there. But, or what you could do is just put like an adhesive bump on the other side. So it's just like slightly, they're like little feet (laughs) and just like, uh, (laughs) that way it's like just slightly tilted towards you and doesn't wobble. I think my plan at the moment is to just grind the camera off. <laughs> there you go, yeah. There's this guy on YouTube. Uh, his channel is called Strange Parts. He lives in Shenzhen in China. And he um, added a headphone jack to the um, iPhone 7 and, like, actually got it to work. He's, like, drilled a hole in the bottom. He like He's, like, an engineer. And he, like, <laughs> soldered all the things and, like, found all these pieces. It's, it's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh people they'll go to the extremes i would love to see the the camera go and i think if i got one oh if i got one and there was like a civil solution to to taking the camera and making it flat even if it just made it not function at all i think i would do that i'm sure you could if you ground it down i'm sure that that would work it would work but like it's not going to end up pretty at the end you just grind it down put a little black sticker over it (laughs) i don't do stickers and never know no. no, they're weird. They like they just peel weird. I don't yeah. know. I never. I don't stickers. do stickers either. I was kind of curious about like if you have any like interesting habits and goal setting methods. Just because I've been thinking about that a little bit lately. So, do you have any like methods for how you track this sort of thing? Um, no, I'm I'm living the simple life at the moment, Phil. <laughs> so. Every year or so, I'll like update my like short-term and long-term goals, and I track all of that in Evernote. Uh, and then for habit setting, I kind of have a little bit of a different system. Um, it's not like super interesting, but I think it might like be helpful to people because um, I was on Reddit and somebody was like asking about how they like they're trying to they were trying to like work out more or something, and they they couldn't get into it. So I was trying to like give them some advice, and it got me thinking about my system and. Maybe it'll be helpful to somebody. Um, But basically what I do for, I have uh, short-term and long-term goals. 
and these live in Evernote. Uh, let me pull it up here. I have my first list is before 30. Um, and then I have like a, just the other one is just long list. So once I hit 30, I'll kind of reevaluate things and I'll say, and then I'll make a new list for like, okay, out of my long-term goals and maybe what I didn't complete from before 30, this is now on the list for before 35. Um, and, and kind of so on like that. So some things I have on here are like, um, make X, make X amount of money on an online business. I did that. Um, selling new hobby box. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have go vegan on here, things like that kind of things that I could do pretty quickly, but, um, either haven't done for whatever reason. And then long-term goal is like, you know, bigger stuff like be CEO of like a fortune 500 company, uh, win a world series of poker bracelet and stuff like that. Um, what was that? So one? that's how I have win, win a uh, world series of poker is like a big poker tournament. Every, um, year they have like 60 tournaments and, um, coming in first place, you get a bracelet and whatever oh. the, the winnings is. It's like a diamond bracelet and then like a million dollars or whatever. And I, I love poker. So that's like a big goal yeah. of mine. That's interesting. Not to get too off track, but I do love when there's like random, super highly coveted award things. So like, yeah, one of the investors for SpaceX is Draper Fisher Jurvetson. And uh, they give out these like platinum frisbees if your company, I think, oh, it's really? a billion dollar valuation or something. And like, that's cool. Yeah, it's just these random little, th- and like even YouTube, you get those uh, subscriber buttons and everything. Yeah. And like there are larger tournaments and stuff, but um, like not every tournament in the World Series is huge. Um, but for whatever reason, this set of tournaments, if you come in first place, you get like a bracelet. So it's just like a special thing. And I, I have some stuff in here that's just like fun. Like they're not all like serious stuff, like get a pilot's license or, um, you know, just just stuff like that. Visit every continent. Uh, but then there's more serious stuff like be the CEO. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of how I frame my overall goals. And then every few months or so, I'll kind of look at my short term before 30 goals and say, okay, what can I do to like make some progress on some of these? Um so yeah, that's that. And then for like habit forming stuff, I use um, reminders and streaks. So apps or is that? Yes. So uh, I use do for reminders and then streaks is my streaks app, which I kind of just started using streaks, but it's still kind of nice just for tracking random things. You and I have talked about this before. You use, mm-hmm. um, what, what's, the, what's the one that you, you use? Um, With like the bars? Yeah. I haven't been using it as much. I think it's called done. Just done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's kind of what I use. So, um, for example, one thing I want to do is I want to, uh, read so often. So I just have a reminder every day at five fifteen when I'm normally on the bus that I, I should read for 30 minutes, things like that. Mm-hmm. What this does is it, it, it kind of forces you to like, remember that and then actively put it away. Um, and then if I put it away too many times and then I don't mark it in streaks and then streaks will also start bugging me. So it's just kind of like a double kind of feedback loop of like, okay, make sure you're doing this thing that X that like past you, uh, wanted you to do. Um, the other one is, uh, Duolingo. So like, I want to learn Spanish. So, um, I have a reminder every morning on the bus to do, uh, Spanish. 
Mm -hmm. That's just kind of my system. And I was just wondering if you did something similar or kind of what, if you had any other thoughts on that. Well, okay. If I did do something, I think it would probably be something similar. And I have in the past used that done app and it is just, you pop in there and you can track on a daily or whatever basis you want. And, um, yeah, a lot of them kind of fall down on the feedback for me. Like, I don't know if what system you're using has any kind of, do you end up with a graph at the end? that's like, you know, this is how many in a row you did and percent, like, cause it sounds like if it's just a reminder, it's not linking into a larger system that's going to give you feedback on your success or failure, right? No. So the reminder is to like remind me to do the thing. And then streaks is kind of like for me to, I just like make sure I set time aside, um, every so often to look at that for everything. Um, so I'll say if I, you know, in a few weeks, if I look at this and I say, Oh man, I've really been slacking on Duolingo. Uh, and then I'll, the following week or so I'll, I'll try and make sure I pick that up. But I'm always kind of reminded of that just using reminders. Mm Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is like the reminders app also tells me to like, you know, every few months it'll say, Hey, go look at like, are you hitting your short, short term goals? Um, every few months it'll also say, um, you know, are you, are you hitting your, uh, streaks? So I have reminders to like, make sure I'm checking progress on things too. Mm Hmm. What's, you know what? It sounds like a pretty decent system there and some pretty ambitious things, and I like that there's a short-term and a long-term component to them. Uh, for me, I think it's just generally a very difficult thing to make happen. You know, especially because if it's all completely self-motivated kinds of things, and it, you know, a lot of times I have thought about what is the best way to like motivate yourself and things like that. Oh, and it's just hard, Gil. It's it's hard stuff. Yeah. Well, maybe I can share this too. So. Um, I think a big problem with what people do is they kind of set goals the wrong way. So, um, maybe some of the examples I gave weren't perfect, but like something you'll see a lot is like, I want to like, maybe some, I want to, uh, lose 10 pounds by the end of the year. That's a very common goal. But if you have a reminder every day that says, Hey, lose 10 pounds by the end of the year, that's not like an actionable item. Um, unless you could just like lose 10 pounds in a day, that's not really something that you can just go do. So what your goals need to be are like these steps to get there. Um, so it needs to be to work out or to eat better. Um, and then once you get into that, once you figure out like what the steps are. So for me, I just want to be like more fit. So one of my, like one of my things that I'm tracking is how often I go to the gym, which has always been like an issue for me. Like I'll, be really good about it for a few weeks and I just get like super bored about it or I, I, I get there and I like, um, you know, we've talked about the app that I completely rewrote because I thought, thought that I found a routine that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but about a month ago, maybe two months ago, I just like stopped using that <laughs> because I'm like, just like, I'm just like bored of this. And I feel like I have this big commitment that I have to hit. And if I don't hit it and then I've failed at it. Um, so I've tried to rethink of, okay, what can I do to make sure I'm like working out without feeling like the stress of having to work out and having to complete this routine? Because sometimes I don't have an hour to dedicate to it. I sometimes only have a half hour or or, or whatever. So instead what I'm doing is um, I'm waking up every day at six o'clock and there's a gym at work. So 
um, I'm waking up every day at six o'clock and I, my goal is just to work out for 30 minutes. If I just lay there on the ground and do nothing for 30 minutes and then whatever, that's fine. But as long as I'm like in the gym for 30 minutes and then I'm fine with that. Um, some days are really productive, right? Yeah. Some days are really productive. Some days I don't do a whole lot at all. Some days I'll just like just sit on like the cycling bike for, uh, for half the time. But like the point is like making the habit of doing that thing and not like convincing myself every morning that, oh, I'll just work out tomorrow and skip today. But that happens every day. And so then I just never work out. So I say, okay, I'm going to the gym every day. I'm waking up at six, no matter what, every day. If I have like a meeting or something, or if I really can't work out, I'm still going to wake up at six. I'm not going to like try and sneak in an extra 20 minutes of sleep and I'll just get to work early. Um, and by forcing me to do that every day, I don't, and I don't give myself a chance to say, okay, I'll make sure I do it tomorrow because that never happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it just from what I've like, I've, I've gone down some pretty deep rabbit holes trying to look in some of this stuff, just like keeping yourself motivated and reaching goals. And I think maybe the two biggest things that are sort of vague, but good starting points would be one, like make it a habit uh, that yeah. you're just doing consistently. And then- right. The other one, which is almost sort of on the flip side, is make it somehow something that you have to do. So just an urgency to it. And that means if there's an accountability person involved or if you have a deadline, I mean, like if it's not self-imposed a lot of times, I mean, there is some deadline. It's like, oh, either do the thing or get fired or some terrible consequence that is like, unconceivable inconceivable to the point that you do the thing so yeah those are my two hot tips and then i have no idea how to execute on them (laughs) well the habit thing i think is the most important piece because like if you can set it's hard to find like a life or death scenario to like having to do something like you like hire somebody on the dark web to like you know like uh kidnap (laughs) you if you don't do it (laughs) but like setting the habit is much easier and like so like say you want to like write a book like for me, for example, the reason that like I'm not making sure like my goal isn't to like do this entire routine every day. It's just I need to just go to the gym every day and whatever I do is whatever. If I don't do anything, the habit is still being established. Um, so if you want to like write a book, just say I'm going to write. I'm going to sit down and try to write for 30 minutes a day. Uh, if you write nothing and then that's fine. If you write, you know, 10 pages and then you keep going, then that's also fine. Um, but not setting a goal for the um for the product of that but just setting a goal for like the time that you're willing to dedicate to at least thinking about it yeah and a friend of the show cgp gray even though i haven't ever like <laughs> directly communicated with him but he's you know his friend i guess um <laughs> hey i've had a tweet liked by brady so uh <laughs> we're go. basically best friends yeah, brady, brady's gotten to me on like like twice i think maybe yeah uh, but so for people that may not be aware, there's a show called Hello Internet, and that's kind of the, the spawning point of ours. And uh, go give them a listen for sure if you haven't. Anyway, Gray has a video called uh, Maximizing Misery, and uh, well, he goes through a lot of points of just how to kind of live a healthy lifestyle. And at one point, and I think this is commonly accepted, he goes through like SMART, S M A R T, and it's like, yeah, SMART goals. Yeah, maybe you remember what they all stand for, but one is like actionable and uh yeah, 
I should know this because this is like how we set goals at Amazon, but I kind of forget. It's like something measurable, actionable. Um, yeah, it's pretty standard if yeah. you just search it or whatever. But yeah, that's that's probably the pretty like best, most proven way to do these things. I will tell you though, Gil, we can have a little fun with this. I have, let me, um, one second here. I have a list on my computer called Life Goals, and it is generally completely a joke (laughs) i've got a separate Uh, list for bucket list that has some weird stuff on it (laughs) i have one here like uh okay so buy a bottle for another table at a fancy restaurant just oh that's good yeah like um verse the united states in court which (laughs) it's still i'm not completely clear on how you go about doing that but I think you kind of fall into that. You don't really plan on that. <laughs> you don't go into that with the intentions. Hmm. What can I do that America is really going to hate, but is in a legal gray area? <laughs> I have going to low, uh, low Earth orbit. Oh, there you go. That's that's a legitimate one, and yeah, probably decent chances there. Oh, so okay, so one of them is take a train across the country. I took a train to Vancouver last weekend, like a passenger train. Yeah, you getting there? Not as fun as you would think. <laughs> No, but it was pretty cool though. I mean, I've been on some trains, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. I have never been on a train like aside from like subways and stuff. Oh, yeah, well, you, you know what we got to do, Gil. First of all, Hyperloop when Hyperloop happens, but then yes. you got your Excella, which is the like fastest one in the United States or possibly all of North America, and it's still not that fast compared to like the bullet trains, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. And then there's one that goes from like Fort Lauderdale up to like New Jersey. And the cool thing about it is you can load a car onto it. Like you can have your car Mm. transported by train. Yeah. I really wish trains were more of a thing in America. Like even if you do Amtrak, they don't own, like they own, I don't know what it is, but it's like they own like 10% of the tracks that they ride on. Mm -hmm. So they're just like constantly delayed um, because people are just like, it's, they get the people that the, the the rail companies they prioritize their own shipments so they're just like you're just gonna wait there until we're like not using it for an hour mm. like we went to vancouver and um there was something like they they needed the rail like right um when we were getting in so like we thought we got lo- so lucky they were like no delays we're like 30 minutes away and they're like oh it's gonna be you know we've got to sit here it's gonna be like a 15 minute delay we sat there for like two hours, 30 minutes outside of Vancouver before it started going again. What is this nuclear bunker arms race? Okay, so nuclear bunker arms race. That is just saying, where did I? Okay, yeah, so Elon Musk, of course, uh, a while now ago, probably like a month or two months ago, he had this tweet where someone was like, it was a news article that was commenting on just like how rich people are buying up land in like New Zealand and have like some are like preppers, you know, like doomsday yeah. preppers. One of the founders of Reddit got eye surgery because he believes that eyeglasses will be hard to come across when the world <laughs> ends. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's not super extreme, but I like, Man, it makes me uncomfortable to think that if it like the world starts to tip into the balance of maybe it's all going to implode on itself, just that like groups of like super rich people will just be buying up. Like, I guess New Zealand is somehow a 
a safe haven in all this potentially. I I don't know how, but I have not heard about this. It's it's not like a mainstream thing at this okay. point because you know, we still have hope and stuff. That cannot the be the reason he got <laughs> eye surgery though, right? No, yeah, he did. Yep, yep. He, if there's a whole article around him, I'll find it, but uh it's just talking about like it, he explicitly says, like, I didn't get it because I don't like wearing glasses. I didn't get it. I got it because if the world ends, glasses are hard to come by because he is like a solid doomsday prepper kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, you know, like, I think there's still a lot of hope here. But my one concern. It, oh, and so anyway, Elon's tweet was um, <laughs> it was something along the lines of like, nope, not me, because the article was about like doomsday preppers, like of the super rich. And he was like, nope, I'm going down with the world, pretty much. And, you know, I love him. <laughs> but, he's got a private jet to the moon or something. <laughs> yeah, he's just going to go into orbit. Um, but my concern here that I want to say for the, the topic here, nuclear bunker arms race, is that, all right, so Cold War happened. And basically, I think, as I understand it, this might not be completely accurate, but basically we decided not to build bunkers because it basically makes nuclear war semi-acceptable. If there is no hope and we have nowhere to hunker down in, then obviously like nuclear war must be avoided at all costs. But if it starts to be that people have the ability to you know, hide in the bunker, then the politicians... It just it's a bit of a change of mindset that could make the difference where it's like, well, nuclear war must be avoided at all costs versus, well, this is going to suck, but I'm going to be safe in my bunker. So let's just do it. And so with this privatization of it, and this even extends to Elon Musk because he's trying to make, you know, an entirely self-sustained Mars, which definitely worth doing and all that. But I'm just there's a little concern inside me that's like, well, what if, you know, potentially, you know, I don't know how this all shakes out, but you could end up at some point where Mars is like the new better place to be and the rich end up there. And because there is a backup planet, you'd let earth go to hell. Mm. And in the shorter term, you can just kind of say, well, with rich people generally being the people that have the means of production and stuff that can destroy the earth. What happens when those people, like if we get to a point of technology and bunker development and all this stuff, that those people feel like they would not be personally, they, like they'd be affected because they'd be in a bunker, but what if they feel like they'd be personally at least survive it, right? And possibly they might even feel like, oh, if the world ends, I get to start like a new world order where I am, you know, one of the few rulers. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're very far off. I, I, I That's an interesting, like, theory that i think is definitely possible but we've got a lot of work on mars to do before it's like better than earth like earth is objectively more beautiful mars is like it's not a lot of variation going on on mars there's like mountains and stuff but um it's not going to be like terraformed in like you know for thousands and thousands and thousands of years yeah. Mars is less my concern. I'm more concerned, not even necessarily nuclear related end of the world scenarios, but I'm just saying like if the people that are super rich and can afford the bunkers and the New Zealand land that would be unaffected or whatever, 
start to feel like they would be perfectly fine and even able to create new governments where they are even more powerful, that's that's bad. That's real bad. Yeah. But like they would have to be self-sustaining wherever they go because otherwise like we're their market. So without us, they're not getting paid anymore. So they kind of like have incentive to like keep us happy enough and wealthy enough to like continue to buy and produce whatever it is that's making them rich um, so that they can. So I feel like there, I definitely see a world where it's possible that all the super rich are like off in this utopia and like running things from a distance. But like as uh, their lab rats over here, they're still like incentivized to keep us somewhat happy. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think New Zealand is good land for like a, um, what is it called? Like a global warming climate change scenario. So like my kind of like probably most likely example would be, you know, a few key people in an industry sort of collude and they're just like, well, we all got our like nice, you know, fairly self-sustained community in New Zealand. And, you know, worst case scenario, if we all keep pumping out oil, we just get to start a new world. Um, yeah. Kind of thing. And so that's like the potential scenario. I don't think we're like very much there, but just right now things seem very fragile and like no matter what at some point in the future it's going to become technologically advanced that rich people could survive on their own to some extent whether it be if you move to the proper climate and you're still on earth or if you just go in a spaceship and that concept as a whole of just like the people that are powerful and able to affect large swaths of land and make it unlivable will also kind of be incentivized to do so because they'll still personally survive and maybe even like thrive yeah. in the after effects. I don't really have anything more to say about it, but, and I'm not like super crazy conspiracy person about it, but it's interesting thought to kind of mull over. Yeah. Like in all the possible futures, like that's one of them. Like it's not zero. No, I think it's, it's like, can you think of a scenario though where, no matter what we do, like I can't really think of a good way where people will not be powerful, right? There won't be like a, a imbalance in wealth. And at some point we won't develop technology where they can just be self-sustained in whatever capacity, right? Some t at some point that's going to overlap. And even if not immediately when it overlaps, they don't realize it and it takes a little while, but eventually there's going to be an overlap of people that could end the world and people that would be fine if the world ended. Yeah. And I think, I think that's super inevitable. So like, I don't know how long from now this is a problem, but I, it feels like a problem. Yeah. I mean, this is where we get into like, um, like wage gap of like the, you know, the top 0.1% have as much money as the other like 99.9%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a certain point, if technology is like far enough that it's just like taking care of everything for us, you know, unemployment rates are going to be, you know, 50%, 80%, whatever they're going to be. There's going to have to be some sort of support for people. And in a world where like everything is like done by machines and essentially like free, 
I could see like maybe in a short future, there's like lots of growing pains to that. But in a longer future, I could see a smaller wage gap to where like after generations of universal basic income, I, yeah, there's still like really powerful people, but the average, um, like, uh, the average quality of life is going to be, uh, much higher than it is now. Hope, I mean, that's, you know, that's, uh, very optimistic. Like, I think that that's probably not the most likely outcome, but I think it's like a likely enough outcome. Yeah. I mean, uh, crossing my fingers for that one. <laughs> well, well, we'll be long dead, so. <laughs> Unless they uh, also cure dying in the next, uh, you know, 60 years. That's on my life goals to the very bottom of the list is live forever or die <laughs> trying. There you go. I think so, yeah, so far everybody's died trying, but. There's <laughs> the first time for everything. <laughs> yeah. So my transition for this one is how, okay, imagine, just imagine that you're simulating the whole planet Earth from the get-go, and you get right up to World War II, and imagine you have a hundred different simulations of the Earth, and maybe you just change the geography a little bit at the start, or you change climate or weather or something, and you just run it a hundred times or a thousand times or a bunch. How likely do you think it is that the results... Like, I'm, I'm very interested in how World War II always ended because you ended up with one nation that is, like, pretty much the only superpower and use of nuclear weapons, well, you could say twice, but the effect is kind of collectively one time and then kind of the rest of the world just realized their power and stopped and it was a whole mutually assured destruction thing. And I just, this is a constant thing that comes up in my mind is how inevitable was that outcome? And then even things just like, you know, how inevitable was the invention of like the cotton gin? Would it have been invented like a year later if someone, or wait, I should know who invented that, right? Was it Eli? Eli, somebody? Um, that sounds familiar. You're really testing yeah. my history knowledge here. <laughs> <laughs> but so this, is, I just want to discuss like how inevitable was this seemingly very weird outcome that you have one nation that is the like singular superpower that it, like ridiculous numbers spent on defense compared to like the next 20 nations combined or whatever, you know, just ridiculous. Yeah. Singular nation and nuclear weapons not having been used successively by different countries or anything like that. And it seems like it was all such a close call. But then again, you can even extend that just to like how inevitable have like larger macro developments in the human species been. Yeah. I mean, I am not like an expert in history in any way. I don't think anyone can answer this really well. Yeah. I feel like any small change would have be a complete uh, diversion of the timeline that we're on. Like there are so many things that were like that allowed the things that are even happening now to happen when they did, um, that were complete accidents. Um, like something like, uh, the discovery of like insulin, like there are so many like one in a million things that led up to that moment that it'd be just a different series of one in a million things if we were to change one small piece. So like if uh, geography were different, um, you know, maybe, 
you know, Einstein would have never been born. And then like all these, like the complete like makeup of the population of the world would be completely different. Um, maybe they're, you know, like, uh, it could completely change. Like maybe women are in power and, uh, white people have been oppressed. Like, I feel like geography is like a huge part of that and what allowed like the European area to develop so much quicker is just because like we were in not not we but like that group of people in the European area were just in the right geography it was like just warm enough um there were enough large slow animals there that they could very easily kill and eat and they didn't have to worry so much about food whereas everybody else is like if you're living in a hundred degree heat uh with cheetahs around it's it's like you've got to worry about a lot more things and like trying to figure out math uh, so I don't know, it changes a lot of thinking. I have no idea how to even answer the question because, you know, it could really be anything. Part of my feeling here is like, I, I think like we would have, who's, who's like a good inventor person example. Let's say like radio. All right. So Marconi guy, radio. I don't even know anything about how that was invented, but like, I feel like it was going to come up pretty shortly thereafter. And I'm just saying like overall, like the whole state of the world do you think we'd be like crazy more or less advanced if a couple key people hadn't stepped in? Like, and then there's people like Henry Ford and like really kind of revolutionary thinkers. And is it like, did they push us forward like two years and somebody was going to come along and do essentially the same thing? Or is this world like entirely different because of, of what people stepped yeah. up and did? I don't know. I think I kind of feel like it would have happened somewhere else. Like even like um, like in the very early days of like developing language, that essentially all happened in parallel in like completely different parts of the world where we were transitioning from, you know, just like Homo sapiens to like the humans that we are today. And mm -hmm. in all these different places, people were developing their own languages at the same time. And if you follow that far enough, maybe, you know, if... Um, Einstein wasn't the person to help with build, like wasn't helping to build the nuclear bomb. Like the most popular one, there would have been some other guy or maybe whoever the second place smart guy on the team was, would be who we all talk about. I don't know. Yeah. Well, even if you put the earth aside and you say like, let's just say alien world that has a whole different setup. I wonder if generally like the time between like radio invention and internet invention or nuclear bomb invention or whatever is roughly the same. Yeah. Also impossible to tell, but I would imagine it'd be pretty close. I mean, if we're talking on like the timeline of the universe, <laughs> then yeah, they're basically exactly the same, even if they're like 10,000 years apart. But I wonder if you could like, could you get the internet before the nuclear bomb in some instances or, or things like that? I don't know. I'm just speculating. And again, it, ex it extends like to, the, to these, all, all these yeah. huge things. Like, like the fact that we even made it to the moon in 69 like i think if you run this simulation enough times that's only happening in maybe like five percent of them so like mm -hmm. i think there are some things that are likely to have happened and some things would to be better or worse or you know whatever yeah i don't know it's just on my mind and then it's like the larger thing is here is like how influential can a person be yeah you know like a lot of people that achieve a lot of things feel like all right we have pushed the human race forward like hugely and i'm like like I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it but like just thinking about it it's like maybe somebody would have stepped right in and done it anyway 
Yeah. And I, I think I talked about it with the airlines before. It's like if no one had made, I don't know if I actually talked about it, but sometimes I've thought about this. If no one made budget airlines or like spirit airlines, would there be, someone have come up and made spirit airlines but with a different name and it would effectively be the same thing yeah i mean whoever their competition was that they beat out would have just be the person that did it then you look at somebody like elon musk that's like completely revolutionized several industries and like okay in a hundred years from now like does that reality look the same as it would have if elon musk never came around he so he just had a recode podcast interview where he i think said that he I don't remember the numbers. I think it was like five years at least that he thinks Tesla's pushed uh, sustainable energy forward, if not like 10 or something like that. I kind of feel like it's like decades because sustainable, like uh, electric cars have been being killed since like the 80s. Um, And then somehow, you know, he creates PayPal, sells it, starts, uh, buys Tesla. And like, it just takes like one eccentric billionaire that's like really cares, uh, to like spend his like all of his profits on something like that like not only did he use that money but like as tesla's like going bankrupt he like spends like every penny that he has and like splits it between that and spacex like he could have easily like said okay i'm just going to save tesla and then save tesla and let spacex die but like somehow he like kept them both alive um i don't know i just feel like he's probably pushed it forward further than that because every other large business is like heavily incentivized to keep things the way that they are. I think it comes down to probably some people have been more influential than others. And it doesn't usually, no one classifies people like that in like history books. So like Wright brothers, I'm pretty sure like, isn't there, did you see those most recent Olympics? They have like, I think there's a Brazilian that invented a plane at like the exact same time. And so it's like, Mm-hmm. I don't know. Would would we have pretty much been the planes were pretty inevitable and it was just a race to be the first to it so that you could get the money on it or whatever and maybe that's like motivating enough for people but what would be really cool is like one of these dates when we do have computers powerful enough to like simulate the whole universe we could have it simulate the universe that we're in now then we will be able to like measure that sort of thing. It's like okay, let's take Elon Musk, pluck Elon Musk out of the model and then see what happens after that. It could be really cool to like see like our world. This is how it is now. Just play around with it and see what happens. And like, so the the example that I have, so say I'm like getting ready to start a business and I identify that I want to start a budget airline because there's a market for this and say this was before all these budget airlines existed. Right. So I identify it and essentially I'm playing the role of who is now uh, the founder of spirit airlines. So I set out and I'm like, okay, this will make sense. But it's just it's a it's a moral dilemma. It's like do I do I create an airline that is pretty universally recognized to suck and even in probably a lot of cases makes a lot of money just on people who fail to check their bags or whatever and so actually get charged a lot of money for their flight. So basically you're ripping people off. Um, but then the people that understand bag check better or whatever are like more seasoned do get to fly cheaper. So it's like, okay, do I create this business that lets some people fly cheaper, but they have an ex- like a terrible experience, but they get to fly where they wouldn't have otherwise because they can afford it. Yeah. And also all of that considered, if I don't do it, some person is going to step up and build this business anyway. Yeah. So it's like, do I want to get rich doing this, creating this like 
arguably terrible company that rips people off, but at the same time, it benefits the people that couldn't afford it. Um, but even if I thought that was immoral, the next guy in line is going to create this airline anyway. So it's, it's just, I'm very... Yeah, that's like one of those like unanswerable questions because it's subjective. So you ask one person, they say, yes, this is the moral thing to do, and you ask another. and I, I, There's no answer to that. It's up to... There is an answer to whether somebody would come along and make it anyway. Yeah, that, but like the moral piece of it. Is it, should I, like, is it okay because somebody else is going to? Well, even if you take out, is somebody else going to, it does provide a benefit. It's a, it's like multiple levels here because it does provide a benefit, but it creates, it makes flying like a terrible experience. So it's like, is that worth it? I don't know. But so the last thing I want to hit on here, Gil, is it's a thing I posted to the SpaceX Lounge subreddit like a year and a half ago. And recently there's been an article about it, and it's always been on paper. So for a long, long time, the U.S. Air Force has wanted to be able to deploy troops or supplies or whatever to anywhere in the world by basically a rocket uh, that lands somehow on the other side of the planet. Uh so pretty much their previous designs have been a rocket that's just on standby and then they launch with the cargo or people or whatever and then it has some kind of you know space shuttle type thing where it just lands and stuff like that. And you know obvious problem here is how are you going to get that back and you know it sat on the drawing boards for a long time because just technology wasn't there. Now I posted like I said a year and a half ago an article that was like an idea for funding BFR basically. And essentially what it would be um, is SpaceX creates a version of BFR that can launch from the United States, just continental United States, land wherever. It does its thing, whatever the Navy or military in general could unload cargo or troops or whatever. And then the ship, so that it doesn't sit in the middle of wherever it happens to have landed, can do a little tiny hop just from where it landed back to a recovery ship. So that would be like an aircraft carrier or something along those lines. And that post got a lot of replies. It's like hundreds of comments, but it got zero upvotes. <laughs> <laughs> it was received very controversially, but I just I just want to throw that out there because I think it is super inevitable, you know, because if they get the military backing this thing, you know, even just a small small chunk of that budget is enough to develop BFR, and then if you've got that, then you can also send it to Mars, especially then if you build a good uh, relationship with the government to the point that you can say, hey, Mr. Newly Elected President or Mrs. Newly Elected President, you know, you might be in office for eight years. How would you like to be the president that puts people on Mars? We've got this thing that's totally tested and working and currently in use by our military. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's like the logical conclusion. Um, I mean, kind of unfortunately, but I feel like that's what's driven so many other large innovations like that is military use. So th this was my argument with the Apollo missions. Not only were the like Mercury programs and the things before it literally using intercontinental ballistic missiles, but then the whole purpose that we went to the moon you know, widely accepted is that it was essentially to show the Russians that we are capable of, you know, superior space technology and travel and stuff like that. Yeah. The way I would frame it too, 
that I think it could be better framed. So SpaceX already does government launches and it's, you know, classified. People don't know what they're launching. There are certain treaties that make it probably not just straight up weapons that are being launched and it's probably just spy satellites and whatever, but they still work with the military presently. And to launch something from US soil just to like a military base for resupply or whatever is really just doing the same job as a cargo plane does now. And if you look at, you know, Boeing, actually I'm not I'm trying to remember who makes these planes now, but you know, the large aerospace companies all make the the supply craft and um you know, warships essentially and things like that, like an aircraft carrier and whatnot. So Yeah. So are you imagining this being like a faster, cheaper version of what they're already doing or allowing them to do something completely new? Uh I think it would just be a whole new technology that would like I, I really think it would change the way that uh, wars are fought and how logistics work for militaries because maybe it doesn't immediately do this and maybe aircraft carriers still exist but I really think that like the powerful force of a military like the symbol of a powerful military is like oh there's a conflict in your country let's park an aircraft carrier off the coast right it's like that's what the U.S. does essentially to intimidate countries uh, and so I think that that could almost be replaced with hey, we've got a dozen rockets, you know, fueled up on the launch pad, ready to launch if your country does something that we deem worth, you know, sending in the troops for. So I kind of I kind of feel like a militarized BFR that's able to just launch, get cargo or troops there in under an hour, and then, you know, just hop basically to the nearest awaiting ship. I kind of feel like... Which is, like, much more scary, but, like, putting some sort of military weapon in space that's just at all times pointed at anywhere in the world, then, you know, you don't really have a need for a BFR that could bring 100 troops and tanks to anywhere in 30 minutes. You can just say, better watch out. I mean, we're not going to use a nuclear weapon, but we've got, you know, a shark with a laser on its head orbiting <laughs> the earth at all times pointed right at you. <laughs> well, the thing is, so there are a lot of treaties and a lot of countries would super not stand for that. Uh, but I think that you could frame BFR in a way because it is suborbital and especially because they've been looking into this for a long time. I think that it could be seen as like politically acceptable and not, you know, immediate grounds for starting a war. Right. Because it's like a, just a like a longer step of what we're already doing. It's not like completely different. Like, you know. Yeah. It's just, it's a logistics platform. We're still right. putting troops in these countries that don't particularly want us there. Uh, it's just a different way to get them there. And I'm not saying necessarily these things land right in a combat zone. Maybe more, it's just like resupply the bases. But I'm saying like, if you don't have to operate a several thousand crew aircraft carrier, because you can launch a few of these things and you know, like the money actually... Like these things in theory can be very cheap to operate if you're just spending the money on the f the fuel and they're reusable and all that. And they don't even going orbital, so they don't have to use like replaceable heat shields or anything like that. Yeah. I wonder if that would like allow for like the BFR. I don't know if it would be able to handle this or not, but like really large equipment, like little like tanks and Bradleys and stuff. But like would that say we can like because it's easier to transport all of these things. We don't need just one hanging out in every corner of the world. We can maybe cut the budget 
by 20% and because they're a lot more mobile now. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I think it I think it happens very slowly. You know, people are slow to figure like you know, things happen slowly. But it seems almost 100% inevitable that at some point regardless of what infrastructure still exists around it that there will be a platform for deploying troops and cargo anywhere in the world via like a suborbital rocket that lands propulsively once it gets there. Yeah. I, I just, I don't see it going any other way sooner or later. And then once you get to that point, it becomes, all right, how much, you know, how many hundreds of millions of dollars are we going to spend? You know, just billions of dollars. Are we going to spend maintaining ships and bases and all of these things when the alternative is that we can just within an hour get, you know, tons of troops and supplies and things like that to anywhere that we might need it. Yeah. Seems like the cheapest option is, you know what, world, just get along. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think if I would, like, do I see a world where Tesla turns into, like, a Boeing to where it's just, like, a... SpaceX. What did I say? I think you said Tesla. Oh, yeah. Where SpaceX kind of turns into a Boeing to where they're, like, building things. Like, the military is not using SpaceX's things. They're, like, SpaceX is now producing a product and selling it to them. Uh, And it's just better than Boeing. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Or you're thinking that SpaceX owns these and they're rented by the military to, like, to go on these missions to drop things off? Or Mm, are they mass-producing rockets now? I don't know. So this is the thing is most companies I think would see this as like, oh yeah, we can profit here and like, let's do this. Elon though is the difference. And maybe he doesn't feel good about doing that. And probably for this to work, it would not be like a service that SpaceX offers. It would be like, Hey military, here's these things and here's how to use them and you know, run your own bases yeah, or run your own launch sites essentially. Yeah. And the military, I don't think, would really want SpaceX in the way anyway. They would want their own. Yeah, so just like licensing the technology. Yeah, so just selling like, like Boeing sells fighter jets or, or whatever. It's like, here, we built you a fighter jet. It's yours now, you know. Did you vote? I did vote, yes. Okay, so let's talk about this for five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my biggest complaint with voting is people are just like super uneducated, like the normal person is, because it's like so, uh-huh. and and not because of their own fault, just because it's so difficult to find information about everybody, and at least that's how it was in Kentucky, to where I've lived for the past twenty seven years, and then you have to like go to the uh, polls, and you've got to like stand in line, and you know it's typically okay, but for a lot of people, they can't afford to take a half day off work to go vote. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to Washington and what Washington does is they mail like a pamphlet to everybody and everybody on the ticket has to have a bio they have like a little section on where they talk like you have like their education. There's a little section where they talk about the issues and then you have like other like URLs to other resources to figure out uh, more about them, their website or whatever it is. And every candidate on the ticket has this. And then there's, um, uh, there were like the uh, what's it called like the issues that you're voting on every every time and they have like all the information you need about that um, how it affects the budget they have uh, an argument 
somebody writes an argument for, somebody writes an argument against the thing. And Mm -hmm. like, it's just done so much better. And then it's all mail-in voting. So you have, you know, three weeks to read all this, figure it out, fill out your thing and put it in the mail. It just seems so Mm -hmm. ridiculous to me that that's not the common way to do it. And like, I I understand that it's political and like people are intentionally withholding people from vote a lot of the time. And that's why progress isn't being made there. But like, it seems like the obvious thing to like, yeah, let's make sure everybody's educated voters. They have plenty of time to fill out their ticket and let them mail it in so that they don't have to um, call off work or anything to do it. Um, It's just kind of infuriating that it's not like that everywhere. 